0: 2007. In 2007, one of the top movies that year was a movie that starred Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholas. Anybody remember what it was? The bucket list, yeah, the bucket list. It was this story about these two guys that uh, both were diagnosed with cancer, end up in the hospital room together. Jack Nicholson's character is a billionaire. He actually, uh, like, owns the hospital or whatever, and, and uh, he's all about making money, doing all that kind of stuff. Morgan Freeman's an auto mechanic. And, uh, and again, they're both diagnosed with cancer, going through the whole chemo thing, and in, while they're in the hospital, uh, in that room... Morgan Freeman has a conversation with Nicholson and, and, um, and it tells about somebody who challenged him to write out his bucket list, the things that he wants to do before he dies, before he kicks the bucket. Um, now, I, I just have to pause for a second and ask, how many times in church have you ever heard the expression, kicks the bucket? Um, that's not a normal kind of expression, but it's for us culturally, we get that. We know what that means. Um, so, so uh, Morgan Freeman writes out his list, throws it away, Jack Nicholson digs it out of the trash, and ultimately, Jack Nicholas, uh, Nicholson, um, Jack Nicholas the golfer, <laughs> he's there. Um, Jack Nicholson, um, because of his financial resources, helps uh, Morgan Freeman accomplish all the stuff on his, on his bucket list. Here's the question. What's What's on your bucket list? If uh, you were here at the beginning of the service and you've got the North Point app out on your smartphone, uh, take that out. And, and above the sermon notes that are there, uh, in the sermon notes, there's a spot where you can write notes to yourself. And, and if you would, just over the next couple minutes, type in my bucket list and put the first three, four, five things that come to mind. What are the things that you want to do before you die. That's an interesting list, isn't it? Because if you're like me, when I, when I was thinking about this, I thought, I feel some tension in that because the stuff that's on my bucket list is it's all about places I want to go and things I want to do. And if you're asking me that question in church, there's got to be some ulterior motive, right? And there's So that those things don't feel very spiritual, right? So there's this tension that happens, uh, but it's a good question for us. What is it that we want to do before we die? What do, what do we want to do before we leave planet Earth for eternity? Uh, over the last six weeks we 've been in this series from the book of First John called "In the Light." The candles are here we, uh, before we had we had uh, lamps and, and a lot of uh, uh, electronic light here we 've got some some uh, candle light that 's here. This whole concept that John says um, that what it, he talks about what it means to be in the light in the book of first John he, he writes to make sure that the followers of Jesus um, have assurance about who Jesus is about why he came to earth, that the, the fact that he was fully God and fully man here on earth, uh, that it was so different than the Greek gods, than the Roman gods. Jesus was God in the flesh that he wrote to, to make sure that they were certain about eternity, to have assurance about what was going to happen eternally. And he wrote, uh, he wrote to them to have, have them have assurance about how to live as followers of Jesus. What's that look like? In the last two weeks, we've talked real specifically about that particular, uh, that particular thing. What's it mean to, what's it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Two weeks ago, Chris said, you know what? John says, it's, it's pretty simple. If you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. You'll obey what I've instructed It's not so that you can earn your way into heaven, not so that you can um, be good enough for God, but because of God's tremendous love for us, our only natural response is to do what He asks us to do. That's that's what makes sense, to obey His commands. Last week, Buzz talked about, you know what? One One of the biggest of those commands is to love our brothers It's to love the people around us. It's to love the people that God brings into our lives. If you were here at the beginning of the service and saw the slides about uh, the group of people that were at Rotunda Mobile Mobile Home Park uh, this week, what, what an incredibly cool demonstration of love to people who are our brothers and sisters but we don't know yet. To go and do haircuts before school starts. They did more than 20 haircuts, which is incredibly cool. To, to be able to give gifts to kids that are going to schools, School supplies, and, and that last picture that Chris showed, was just incredible. You know what was in the kid's backpack to get ready for school? A pair of tennis shoes, because he didn't have them. Loving people. That's what God calls us to do. That's, that's what it looks like to live for Jesus, to live in a relationship with him. Uh, sometimes I look at my own life, and I just kind of shake my head at my stupidity. <laughs> you can laugh now, yeah. Um, because I look, and I look at my life, and I think I, th- I think that I will find fulfillment, and value, and worth in the stuff that I have. You know, if I if I can just get filling the blank, if I can just get a better car, if I can just get a different kind of house, if I can just get, if I could just go to Sam's and buy whatever I want, you know, in bulk, Uh, my life will be fuller. And in reality, what's the truth? The more stuff I have, the more demands it makes on my life, the more it robs me of time and energy and focus, because I got to take care of all that stuff. That stuff that I want to own owns me instead. Uh, But when I pour into people, when I love people who don't like me, when I show kindness without expecting anything in return, all of a sudden life is so much more fulfilling. All of a sudden you can go to bed at night and just think, oh man, it was an incredibly good day. Walking in the light means loving Jesus. It means obeying Him. It means loving others and some very specific instructions that we find in 1st John chapter 2 as well if you've got your bibles take them out um, if you want to take one out of the back of the pew, if you don't want, have one, that that's great. If you don't have a Bible and want to take one home, stop at the information booth, and uh, and we would love to send one home. If you've got a uh, electronic device, uh, go ahead and go to the U version or into the North Point app, and we're going to look at what Scripture says. Just looking at the three verses today, and really one concept that permeates everything. Here's what John says in First John chapter two, verse fifteen. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. Are you serious? Are you serious about following Jesus? Are you serious about following Jesus? Do you want to know God and do you want to live the life that He designed for you? Don't love the world. I wonder, I really do wonder if that sentence is enough for us. If we, if we just stop the message right now and say, okay, let's go home. Don't love the world. This is God's word for us today. Don't love the things of the world. It's, it's sobering. It's, it's like somebody takes a two-by-four and hits you right between the eyes because it's really easy to love the world. It's really easy to love the things of the world. Satan makes that very, very attractive if John gives us that instruction, we've got to understand it, though, and we've got to understand really what he meant with two specific words in that short sentence. We've got to understand what the word love means, and we've got to understand what the word world means. Um, both of those, if, if we're to follow what Scripture uh, calls tells us to do. We've got to understand those words. If you've been around church for a long time, you know that in the Greek there are four different words for love, four different words that are translated love. One is, uh, is the word that, that's love within your family, storge love. It's love brothers have for sisters, parents have for kids, kids have for parents, that kind of storge. We get that. Uh, one is is the word eros. It's the it's a romantic love, the erotic love. It's a, a man for a woman. That you know, it's all the hot and heavy stuff. Okay, y'all got that. Uh, you got that. The third word is phileo, It's it's uh, or philos. It's the, it's the it's a platonic love. That's this deep, uh, committed love to, to to a person without any of the other stuff. It's just this deep friendship love. And the last one is the word agape. It's it's this um, this committed love, this compelling love, it's this love that is, just consumes a person. That's the picture of the love that God has for us. That God would love us, agape us so much that he would allow his son to leave his presence in heaven where everything's perfect and come to earth for us. That's agape. So the question is, what's the word that John uses here? Don't love the world. Any, any guesses? It's the word agape. Don't have this relationship with the world that is this consuming, committed, uh, compulsive uh, connection to the world around you. Don't have that kind of love for the world. Don't do it. Um, don't get caught up and controlled by the world or the things of the world, so, so that takes us then to the question of, of, of the world. What's the w- word there? What's it mean? It's the it's actually the the Greek word cosmos, k o s m o s. Cosmos. We we kind of understand that. Cos, uh, if you're around, you remember a television show on PBS, Cosmos. It's cosmos means order. It means to put things in order. The opposite of cosmos is chaos. All right, it's, it's that. Um, cosmos means to put things in order. We understand the word co- cosmetics, right? It means women put their face in order. All right, you, you, you got that. Um, cosmos is translated in Scripture, it, it can really mean three different kinds of things. The first is the created world. That God made the world, the cosmos, and what, what we're talking about is like the physical earth where we live, the, the planet, the solar system, that kind of stuff. So, so when John says, don't love the world, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the physical place here? No, actually, not at all. It doesn't make any sense because in creation, God looked at everything that he made and he said, this is good. Psalm 8 says, the heavens, the cosmos declare the glory of God. It can't be that. The, the second way that that's translated is all the people who inhabit the earth. It's all the people around us. God so loved the world, cosmos, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. Um, God, when He had made Adam and Eve, he, what did He say? Not just, this is good, it's very good. There's, there's this sense that God is crazy about the people of the world. He loves us with that way. So when John says, don't love the world, it's not that either. It's not the people. Cosmos is also translated to, to put in order. It's the system of the world. It's the way that the world works. And John says, that's what you're not supposed to love. You're not supposed to buy into that system and live in the system of the world. Uh, He says, the world's system is different than God's. We understand that whole concept of of a system of a world. Uh, When I was growing up, 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon every week, I would flip it on ABC and watch The Wide World of Sports. You'd watch that skier go down the slope and wipe out with the music in the... It was the greatest thing ever. We talk about the world of sports. We talk about the political world. We talk about our work world, our family. We understand the concept of a world being a system that's associated with a particular place. So John says, don't love the system of the world. Why do we believe that the world that we live in is as good as it gets? Why do we dread death when we know Jesus promises about life on the other side? Why is it that we play it safe and avoid risk? Why do we fear the unknown? I think it's because we're trying to protect what we have right here and now. We're trying to save the world that we've created. This place that we've constructed, somehow in our minds we're twisted and we think the world that we've constructed is better than the world that God has for us. That's crazy talk. John says you can't be friends with the world, with the things of the world, with the system of the world, and friends with God. Um, a number of years ago, uh, uh, three years ago, Deb and I had a chance to go to Iceland. I've, I've referenced that before. In Iceland, there's a really cool thing because the, on that island, there's a place where the, where the European tectonic plates, the European continent plates, and the, and the Americas, the, the, that tectonic plate comes together. And you can actually stand in a place with one foot in Europe and one foot in the Americas, in Iceland. It, it's, a, it's a pretty cool thing. Here's the deal. You can't live that way in God's kingdom. You can't be friends with the world and friends with God. You you can't stay in that place. It doesn't work. Um, James chapter 4 says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity, hatred with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what do you do? How do you you not love the world? we try a lot of different things. Sometimes we try and, and just escape and isolate ourselves from the rest of the world, right? That's the picture of the Amish faith, right? They, they have separated from the rest of the world. They say, we're not going to do all this stuff so that we're not poisoned by the world. Um, a, a, a priest or a nun that end up in a monastery secluded from the rest of the world, they've isolated them themselves. They've built walls so that they're not polluted by the world so that they don't love the world. You know what? The problem is that that those walls that we create, they don't separate us from the world because the problems that exist in, in a monastery, the problems that exist in the Amish world are the same problems that exist in us. It's just about different stuff because the issue isn't about stuff. It's about our desires. It's not about what's around me. It's about what owns my heart. We think worldliness is stuff that we do. Tattoos, piercings, body augmentation, whatever it is. We think it's places that we go rather than it's who we are, something that we are. Worldliness is living as if there is no God. Worldliness is living as if there's no God. It's like if you've got a little guy at home and you play hide and seek, when, when they're at the point that they can play hide and seek and your child puts their hands over their eyes while they're sitting in the living room, right? And you say, where are you? And they're saying, oh, you can't see me, because their eyes are covered up. They think that no one else can see them. It doesn't mean that you can't see them, and it doesn't mean that you're not there. You're still there. They're just choosing to construct a world where they can't see you. God's there whether we, whether we believe believe it or not, whether we think it or not, whether we act like it or not. John says, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that's in the world, now he's talking about the system of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world, the system of the world is governed, it's inspired, it's driven by three different appeals, by three different concepts. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. John's given instruction to say if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to recognize that this is going on, that this war is taking place, that this is the system of the world, and you've got to run from it. You've got to recognize it, but you've got to get away from it. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eye, pride of life. The word desire is the word for lust, for craving, for longing for strong, insatiable desire, for, for something that's inside us motivating us to action. Understand that God is the one who gave us that desire. That desire is not from Satan, that desire is from God. And that craving and that, that longing is good. The only question is, how is that craving going to be fulfilled? How is it going to be satisfied? If someone's dehydrated and they come to you and ask for a drink, and you give them a can of motor oil? That's liquid, right? It's fluid? But that motor oil is only good if you're a car. It's the wrong answer for the desire. The desire is for water to get inside your body and rehydrate. The oil won't help. It's the wrong thing. So John talks about the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are the desire to satisfy your physical cravings at the expense of God. They're the things that make your body feel good. It's interesting, in the Greek, that 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 word, uh, desires of the flesh, is a, it actually talks about the physical body, particularly in the sexual realm. Now, let me just say this, though. Is eating a good thing? Absolutely. We have to eat in order to live. God gave us that desire, the desire of the flesh, to eat in order to stay alive. But if I sit down and eat two dozen warm Krispy Kreme donuts, (laughs) it's not so good, right? That desire of the flesh has gone out of control, and it will ultimately destroy my body. Is sexual intercourse a good thing? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's how God designed babies to be conceived. Did He design physical intimacy to be pleasurable and fun and something that brought intimacy to a couple in a way that nothing else could? Absolutely. Is having sex with multiple partners or with someone against their will or with someone who's not your spouse a good thing? No. God's word is clear that having that kind of in- intimacy with anyone except your spouse is a horrible idea. It's devastating to your psyche, to your relationships, to your nature. The lust of the flesh is the desire to satisfy yourself at God's expense. Scripture says you're not your own, you've been bought with a price don't live that way. That's the system of the world. The desire of the eyes is the desire to have what you see rather than trusting that God is providing what you need. It's when you look around and see stuff and say, I want that. It's what the Bible describes as covetousness. It's wanting something that you already have enough of. It's a sin of vision, of craving, of accumulation, it's a desire to have what you see rather than trusting, what, rather than trusting that God is providing what you need. Um, my brother-in-law's father just passed away. He was 97 years old, and he was a hoarder in the truest sense of the word. He had a house. He had a 10,000-square-foot uh, uh, pull barn. Uh, he had another house. All of them were filled floor to ceiling with stuff. You couldn't walk through the house except to, um, to walk sideways through the path that he had created. Um, he, he was driven throughout his life by seeing things and saying, I've got to have that. I'm going to need that. And the crazy thing is when he died just six weeks ago, they had to go through and virtually everything that he had bought had to be thrown away because there was so much stuff that had rotted in the house over the years that even the things that he had bought recently had to be thrown away because of the smell. The lust of the eye says, I see that and I want it and I've got to have it. That's, that's what drives us. Coveting is saying, God, what you've given me is not enough. Corey Ten Boom, who was a, a, a prisoner in... Um, in a, a, concentration camp in World War II, said this, I've learned to hold on to things loosely in this world because it hurts less when they're pried from my fingers. What a great concept. It's so easy for us to become obsessed with what we see, though. If you think in the Old Testament book of, of, of Judges, uh, Joshua leads the children, the nation of Israel into Jericho, into battle with Jericho, they march around the city, the walls fall down. God gives clear instructions to say, everything that's in the city needs to be killed and burn up. Everything needs to go away. And there's a guy in the Israelites named Achan who sees some gold and some clothing and says, I got to have that. Nobody's going to know. I got to have that. Ultimately, ultimately, Israelites die because of Achan's sin. It was the sin of the lust of the eyes. I see it. I've got to have that. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and what's he say? What? How do I inherit eternal life? What do I got to do? Jesus says, "You tell me. You know what do the commands say?" And he starts to rattle through the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, "Do those, and you'll live." And the rich young ruler says, I, "I've done all those since I was a little kid." And Jesus says, "You know, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything that you have, and give it to the poor." And he went away sad. Now here here's the question that's been ripping at me for the last several days. Who do you think had more stuff? Rick Rubel in 2016 or the rich young ruler that talked to Jesus. Who has more stuff? That guy that Jesus said sell it and give it to the poor and he went away sad because of the volume of stuff he had or me or you. That's sobering. That's sobering. We see stuff and we think we got to have it, we got to have it, we got to have it. And Jesus says, No, you don't. Psalmist said in Psalm 101, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I won't focus my attention on anything that's worthless. Psalm 119, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, give me life in your ways. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. We look at the stuff around us and think somehow that will fulfill. Scripture tells us over and over and over again. You know what? That's the lust of the eyes. It won't do it. That's the world system. Don't love the world. The pride of life The pride of life is the desire to find fulfillment in status, in achievement, in recognition, or wealth rather than God. It is the sin of self-centeredness. We want others to love us as much as we love ourselves. That's the pride of life. It's an inward craving for more prestige and power and position, It's accompanied by an obsession with boasting, with an exaggeration, so that others will look up to us. If you've got an aquarium, if you've ever seen a puffer fish, it's this small fish, but when it's threatened, when there's a predator fish around, it it puffs up and, and, and becomes like twice or three times its size, so that the predator will think, oh, I can't eat that. It's too big. It puffs itself up. It makes itself bigger. That's the pride of life. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, that's the system of the world. Understand, wars start because of those three lusts. Countries fall because of those three cravings. Families are destroyed because of those three longings. Individual lives are corrupted because of those three desires. They promise fulfillment, they promise satisfaction, they promise contentment, and they don't deliver on any of them. Eve, in the Garden of Eden, experienced those three temptations. She saw that the tree was good for food. What is that? Lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasing to her eyes. Lust of the eyes. She heard the voice of the serpent saying, if you eat that, you'll be like God. You'll be like him. You'll, have, you'll, be, you'll be wise, the pride of life. When Jesus had been baptized, he's ready to start his ministry, he goes out, and, and he's in uh, the wilderness for 40 days fasting, so he's not eaten for 40 days. And Satan comes to him, he, he comes to him with the exact same three temptations, with the same system of the world. The saint says to Jesus, look at these stones. You have the ability to turn those stones into bread, piping, hot bread with butter dripping on it. You can do that. What is that? Lust of the flesh. He Takes him up on a mountain and he says, look at this. If you worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. He could see in, in all around, all these cities, vast wealth. Satan said, if, if you worship me, I'll give you all of that. What is that? Lust of the eyes takes him on top of the temple and and says jump off because Scripture says that the angels will guard you. You want to make a difference with your life? There's no better way than in the center of Jerusalem, jumping off the the top of the temple, having the angels catch you. You'll have an audience like like you would never believe if you do that. Probably life. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and said, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame with mindset on earthly things. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Understand this, the struggle to not love the world, to not give in to the system of the world, it's not about sinful activities. It's not about what you do, but about what you desire, what you want. John Calvin said, the evil in our desires often lies not in what we want, but that we want it too much. You know, it's possible It's possible to restrain yourself from watching pornography. You put filters on your computer. You give full access to your web history and keystrokes to a trusted friend. You position your computer where somebody can always see what you're looking at on screen. But if all the time in your mind you're thinking about the stuff that you've seen in the past and when you can see it again, you've not won the victory because your desire hasn't changed. It's possible to curb your physical appetite, to buy Nutrisystem or SlimFast or whatever it is and have them send the meals to you at home. You've got it portion controlled. You've got the balanced diet. You've got you know, the reduced sugar and carbs, all that stuff, and lose weight. It's possible to do that. But when you stop, what happens? All that weight comes back on because you've never dealt with the desire issue the cravings, that inner sense that you deserve to eat what you want. You have the right and ability to eat that food. You've earned that dessert. You'll feel better when you eat that food. The invisible world of motives and cravings often go undetected by everybody around us. People can see us on the outside and not on the inside. We can struggle to restrain from sinful activities. We can say, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink. But every day, that desire to drink sticks with you. That's why we have Celebrate Recovery. The goal is to not just curb behavior. It's to help you deal with the sin. To have accountability in a group that can encourage you to say no. All those things happen, but the goal is to change your desires your appetite, your cravings to recover and restore God's system and not the world's. John says, don't love the world. Don't love the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires whoever does the will of the Father, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here's the question as as we come to the point that that we finish this passage of Scripture. Have you fallen in love with the world rather than Jesus? Have you fallen in love with the world rather than Jesus? Paul wrote, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of everything. I've counted it all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So what do we do? How how do we deal with this world that we live in, with the system that's all around us, if we want to pursue Jesus with our whole heart, if we want to fall in love with him, all over again. What can we do? Uh, let me give you five things, five things that you can just kind of work through and digest. The first is this, seek counsel from other godly people. That may be an accountability partner, it may be somebody in your life group, but sit down, it may be your spouse, but sit down and have this conversation that says, where do you see worldliness in me? Where do you see the world having control Of my life? That's a hard, scary question, right? Because it puts a mirror up to us. Seek godly counsel. Second thing, seek after things that don't fade. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom, His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek God's kingdom, and everything else is going to be taken care of, Matthew 6. Allow God to transform your mind. Paul wrote in Romans 12, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that, you may, that, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Allow God to get inside you and change your mind because you're focused on Him. Let His Word dwell in you to bring about that change. Fourth thing, resist Satan. When Satan comes at you, resist him. James chapter 4 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Fight back. Push back on that system. I don't have to have that stuff that I can see. I don't have to give in to to my fleshly desires. I don't have to have that recognition that comes from other people. It comes from God instead. Resist Satan. And lastly, Pursue Jesus as you have pursued, pursued nothing else in your life. Pursue Jesus as you have pursued nothing else in your life. How do you do that? You do that with time, with conversation, with focused attention with God. Talking to Him and allowing Him to speak to you through His Word, through the time that you spend with Him. I, I grew up about, I grew up outside Dayton, which is about 50 miles north of Cincinnati, and I grew up a Cincinnati Bengals fan at the wazoo. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, Kenny Anderson, if you remember uh, the name of that quarterback, Boomer Esiason, back when he played quarterback and won just on TV, the Bengals, there were, there were some good years in there. And when I was in high school and college, um, because uh, we had access, I got to go to a Bengals game pretty much every season. It was the greatest thing in the world. I was a big Bengals fan. 1985, we moved to Washington, D.C. And you know what happened? My commitment to the Bengals um, got replaced by a commitment to the Washington Redskins. Why did that happen? Why did that happen? It's because I quit paying attention to the Bengals. And I started paying attention to the Redskins. The Redskins were right there. I could read about them every day. And I didn't see anything on the Bengals. I quit paying attention. on the, On this Tuesday, this Tuesday, um, Deb and I will have been married thirty five years. Um, that's a she's pretty wonderful. Um, here's the thing: when we first met, I wasn't interested in her at all. I was pursuing other relationships. What changed the course of my life in a way that was so much better? It happened because I quit paying attention to others and started paying attention to Deb. I learned what touched her heart. I started loving what she loved. I focused on her. If you want to not live in the world system, pursue Jesus as you have pursued nothing else in your life. Because John says the world's not going to last. He says, do the will of the Father. Do the will of God. C.T. Studd was a, a, a preacher, a Christian, about 100 years ago who wrote uh, uh, just a short poem that, that I've heard over and over again throughout my life. Uh, one of the guys I served with quoted it all the time. C.T. Studd wrote this Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The world is not going to last. Do the will of God. So, with what is your bucket list filled? What do you want to do before you die? The movie said 6% of the people surveyed wanted to know when they were going to die so that they could live every day to the fullest, so that they could fulfill their desires, so that they could leave nothing undone in life. Guess what? Unless Jesus comes back, 100% of us are going to die. Not 96%, 94%, 96%. 100% of us are going to die The question is, are you going to live within the system of the world? Are you going to fill your bucket with relationships? Are you going to fill your bucket with a life that will last into eternity? We're going to sing in just a second. And and here's what I want to challenge you to do. I hope, I hope the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. And I want to give you a chance as we sing this last song to do business with God. I want to invite you to come down to the front if you want to do that. If you, if you want to stay where you are, that's okay. But I want you to talk to God and deal with whether or not you're being controlled by the system of the world. And if you want to give it up, ask Him. Ask Him to help you do that. Ask Him to help you understand how you can build a relationship with Him that transforms everything. And then do it. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. If you want to come down and pray, that'd be great. If you need somebody to talk to, come find me. Let's, let's pray. God, you know us. That's how we started 30, 40 minutes ago. You know every fiber of our being. You know what's in our hearts, what's in our heads. And God, we come to you right now and we just confess really simply, it's so easy for us. We have given into the system of the world. God, we've fallen to the the desires of our eyes, to the desires of our flesh, to the pride of life. We've we've allowed that to creep into us. And God, we just ask right now that you would do your work in us and that you would allow us to start fresh. God, that, that we would be able to respond to your courting, your dating, your love for us in a way that we never have before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.